As you take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9, I'm going to be dealing with the subject of stepping into your life-changing anointing. Stepping into your life-changing anointing. Because the anointing has the ability to bring change into your life. And we all love change. When I think of the anointing, it is the merger of divine selection with divine enablement with the express objective of fulfilling divine purpose. That is, God will take a person and select that person for a task that they are not adequate to do. And then he will, he will release and impart to them his power to accomplish a task so they can fulfill their assignment. Now understand, assignment. See, unless you are walking in your assignment, you're not in a position to step into your anointing because anointing is tied to an assignment. And if you're not walking in your assignment, you don't need to be anointed. See, and God will put something in your life that's bigger than you. So you would have to become, come to a place where you're dependent upon him and you need him to give you the capacity to accomplish it. And many times when we find those things happening, we shy away. Let's look at this. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, as we're going to enter, let me set it up from chapter 8. Chapter 8, we see that the narrative tells us that Samuel is old. And it seems to suggest that Samuel is getting to a place where he's ebbing ever closer to ineffectiveness. And yet, we see also that it says his sons were morally corrupt. So all these men who were serving in the capacity of judges, it, it seems to suggest that no one now is able to continue to serve and, and, can, and move on and be effective in this capacity. Well, what I believe the narrative is really pointing at is the fact that the people are given an opportunity through this circumstance. They find an inroad through this to begin to suggest what they want. And what they want is a king. So they say to Samuel, we want what the other nations have. We want a king. Can we have a king? And Samuel is at this place where he's just burdened by this. He goes to God in prayer and he says, God, they have rejected me. And God says, no, wait a minute. It's not so much that they have rejected you. They've rejected me because I am the king. And so they have rejected me. And so the spirit of what was seen under Moses' leadership is being seen now under your leadership. So I need you to go back to the people. I need you to prophetically let them know the implications of what it would mean to have a king. Because when they have a king, everything will change. Their paradigm of life will change when they have a king. The freedoms they once possessed will change when they have a king. What they thought belonged to them will belong to the king. And so Samuel conveyed this to the people. And you know what the people said? We want a king. Isn't that interesting? And so it's in this moment that we find this, this next story. And first, in chapter 9, look at verse 1. It says, now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. And it says that he was a mighty man of valor, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. 
from his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Saul, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his, said to his son Saul, take now with you one of the servants and arise and go and search for the donkeys. Wow. So we see we run into now a man by the name of Kish. And Kish, his name means hard or difficult. Do you know any hard or difficult people? You don't? Maybe because you are. No, just go. Well, here, Kish, his name means hard or difficult. And it says he was a, a man of valor, a mighty man of valor, a man of standing. And it's good possibility to achieve that in his life. He had to establish a bar of high expectations for his own life. And people who tend to do that have high expectations for people around them, which can make them hard or difficult. And it's in this situation that during this time period, he has a son. His son is Saul, handsome, strikingly handsome man, head and shoulders above everybody else. And it would be that Kish's donkeys were lost, which was not uncommon in that day for livestock to wander away and get away from the house. And it would be the practice of that day that they would send a search party out to find the animals and bring them back. Well, Kish, Kish said, I want Saul and one of my servants to go. He sent his son and one of the servants to go and find the donkeys, which is interesting. I mean, a search party of two. Because maybe he was a hard and difficult man with high expectations. Well, he sent them out, and they went searching for these donkeys. They went to the hill country of Ephraim and Shalisha and Shalom, and, and, and they went through all these, all these areas looking for these donkeys. And we would know that about three days would pass, and they would not find these donkeys. And it's a good possibility that they tra traveled over 60 miles in three days looking for donkeys. Now, my first question is, how fast do donkeys move? <laughs> but they can't find these donkeys. And Saul comes to a place where he says, maybe we need to go back home. But they realize, as he says that, they're at a place called Zuf. And the servant says to, says to Saul, understand where we are. There is a man of God who lives in this city. And maybe we should go and inquire of him. And maybe perhaps he can tell us about our journey. Now, that's interesting that he would put it that way. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey. When it seemed like he would say, perhaps he would tell us where the donkeys are. <laughs> but he says, perhaps he would tell us about our journey. In other words, could it be that this journey is more significant than simply looking for donkeys. See, I've discovered sometimes God will cause things to happen in our life that will set us up for a pursuit and we'll get out and we're pursuing something, but that's not ultimately what God has in mind. He's getting us out of the familiar into the unfamiliar so we can have an anointed encounter so he can position us to see something we haven't seen before. And that's the thing about God. See, Saul lived relatively close. He lived relatively close here to, to the presence of the man of God. But he didn't have a clue as to who he was. Mm 
And you know what's interesting? Samuel, the man of God, who's called the seer and the prophet, Samuel is nationally recognized. He has a prophetic ministry that is consistent. If he said God said it, God said it. And Saul doesn't even know who he is. Because, see, when you're not into something, you can't see it. But once you can come to a place where you get into it, you see it everywhere. And here, Saul is at this place. And Saul consents, yes, let's go see the man of God. And, and in, that ch- in that chapter, he talks about making sure they bring to the man of God, which conveys to him their, their sense of regard for what he will impart to them. And so they go, and they're, they're going to meet the man of God. And I told you, Saul doesn't have a clue as to who he is. And he walks up to this man, and he says, can you tell us where the seer's house is? And the man he's talking to is Samuel, the man of God. And he doesn't even know it. And Samuel says, I am the seer. And I'm going to tell you some things. First, I'm going to tell you what has been on your mind. And then he's going to convey to him the mind of God. He says, understand, Saul, that those donkeys you've been looking for, they have been found. Let's just put that to rest right now. Now, what does that tell us? That the donkeys were lost until Saul got in the presence of Samuel. And then they were found. See, I believe that God in his sovereignty, God in his grace, God who knows all things, God maybe one night said to the donkeys, about 10 (laughs) o'clock, I want you guys to make a break. And then I'm going to lead you and guide you, and I'm going to conceal you in a place for about three days. And then I'm going to release you, and I'll let somebody find you and take you back home. See, God can do that. Because, see, God is setting up a circumstance so Saul could be exposed to something he's never been exposed to and see what he's never seen before. So he takes donkeys to get him to a place, to get him out of the familiar so he can step into a place so he can see and encounter a man of God so he can step into the moment that God has allotted him. See, I think sometimes we go through situations we think this, we just call it life. You know, we're just going through life, right? We're just going through life. It rains on the just and the unjust. That's just life, right? And I understand things do happen to us like they happen to everybody else. I mean, if it rains outside and you go outside, guess what? You're going to get wet. That just happens. But let's not reduce everything to just being life. Because God is a sovereign God. And the Bible says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Christ Jesus. The Bible says he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That means God divinely orchestrates circumstances with a divine objective. And many times that objective is to get you to step up and come to a place where you walk in your assignment. And many times we look at our assignment, we go, oh, that can't be my assignment. (laughs) That's somebody else's assignment. That is not my. Have you ever said that? You didn't have to answer. Your laughter gave you away. (laughs) So, So many times we look at that and we go, that is just too much. That cannot be mine. Here, Saul finds himself at this place. And... Saul is being told now, 
You are the desire of the nation, that the nation has been waiting for you, that people have been asking, they've been asking for you. They wanted a king. You are that man. And you have stepped into a moment here and understand it's a, it's a divine setup for you to be anointed as king. And I'm sure Saul's head is spinning right now because he went from pursuing and going after donkeys to a, about to be the king of a nation. Wait a minute. You ever had those moments? It feels like God's moving fast. <laughs> I mean, real fast. And you go, this cannot, this is, cannot be right. This is happening too fast. God's doing it. And Saul is at that place, and, and he's being told, now, you're about to step into a new realm. So this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to realize that you're going to be anointed as king. And Saul pauses and says, wait a minute. Maybe you don't get this, but, but I'm from Benjamin. And Benjamin is a small, small, small tribe. And, and, you know, between Ephraim and Judas, kind of wedged right in there. And it's small. And, and, and so it seems to suggest it's not significant. And so anybody who comes from there doesn't seem to be significant. And so why would you say that I would become king from such a small place? But see, understand something about God. God will take you from a small place. And delight in the fact that you have come from a small place to show how big he is. And so, in other words, don't look at your inadequacies. Don't look at how the, the smallness of your present condition. God is able to turn things around and adjust things. He's, in, 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 in other words, he's able to reveal himself because the anointing of God is when you become translucent. I didn't say transparent. You're, you don't become invisible. Translucent. We can still see you, but it's when God becomes clearly and undeniably evident that we can see you, but we can see God. And so here, it's at this moment that Saul would be there in front of Samuel. And Samuel says, Saul, I, I, I want you to come to my house. And there's going to be a gathering about 30 men. I want you to sit and join us for a meal. And you're going to sit at the head of the table at the head of the table with the man of God who is nationally recognized at the head of the table. And then when he, once he gets there, they're sitting at the table and Samuel says to the, to the other servant, one of his cooks, he says, now bring out that portion of meat that I was reserving for this moment. Wow. So wait a minute. Saul is in the presence of the man of God. He's been told he's going to be king and there's a portion of meat the, the best of the best is about to be given to him. And all this is happening. I mean, it's just, it's just happening right in front of him. And I want to tell you something. There's a portion from God that he has for you. It may be on reserve right now. Because, see, it says that, Saul, you're going to get this because it's for the appointed time. There's an appointed timetable in God. I'm going to say that again. There's an appointed timetable in God. There's a moment in which God has set up and fixed in which he wants to manifest something, but you have to walk in your assignment and you have to step in your anointing. And at that portion that you need, God has something you need. God has something you need. I said God has something you need. God has something that you need but is linked to your assignment. 
See, one thing you got to understand about God. God doesn't simply want to be a part of your life. God wants to be your life. That means your world then in the Lord is much bigger than simply a service on Sunday morning. You know what's interesting? Many times we tend to judge where we are based on how we are in the service. Wouldn't it be great if you were like this all week long? Right? Praising the Lord, celebrating his name, hugging people, loving people. Right? Wouldn't that be great if that was really how you were all week long? Right? But how many know God is taking us to a place where we live the reality of our faith? And here, Saul is at this moment, this strategic moment in his life. And Saul finds himself now having to contend with this life-changing moment, which is a life-changing anointing. And in this, Samuel says to Saul, he says, he says, I'm going to have you spend the night at my house. And we'll talk in the morning. And so Saul goes and he spends the night. And the next day he gets up. And him and Samuel would begin to have this conversation. And Samuel looks at Saul and says, send your servant ahead of you. And I need you to stand. Stand now. And I will proclaim the word of God to you. Stand now. Let me ask you, are you standing See, are you standing to hearken to the voice of Almighty God? Because I got to ask that because sometimes in life, we go through some things, tough things, challenging things, difficult moments, inconveniences, family issues, financial issues. We face things, sicknesses. And what happens many times if we're not careful, we allow ourselves just to sit down and stop standing. Stand firm in the Lord, therefore in the strength of his might. And yet, we let these circumstances cause us just to sit down and kind of bow and acquiesce to these things because it's, it's just life. Wait a minute. It's not just life. God has your life. God's doing something. Did you know nothing can happen in your life that God doesn't allow? That means he divinely orchestrates things for your advancement. And so, he says, stand now. There are three things that you need to stand in if you're going to embrace God's word and run with it. You need to stand first in honesty. Honesty. Honesty with God and honesty with yourself. You've got to be honest about where you are. Honest about your walk with God. Honest about how you're responding to God. See, like I said, it's possible to begin to, to define who you are based on who you are in this room. I'm a worshiper. I praise God. I love people. Uh, that's just one hour. <laughs> All right? You got the rest of the week. What are you like the rest of the week? Because, see, that really reveals who we are in the context of who we are all the week long. And we got to be honest. Maybe we need to say, God, I'm really not what I appear to be. And maybe I know that you've been dealing with me about certain things. I haven't been responding to you. And I've got these closet compartments in my life that I still hold on to. And I've got these things that I do that I know you're not pleased with. And yet I present this idea that I'm at another place. But I need to be honest so I can hear your voice. Secondly, I need to be humble. I need to be humble. Did you know that it takes humility 
It takes real humility when God gives you an assignment beyond what you can handle. And you take it. It takes humility. Why? Because when God gives you an assignment beyond what you can handle, how many know the stage is set for you to look really stupid? And nobody wants to look stupid, right? Nobody wants to look bad. We want to look good. We want to have our act together. We, we don't want to be in a position where we look bad. So God will give you an assignment that's beyond us, bigger than us. And we say, wait a minute. That's not my assignment. I don't want that. What if I were to, what if the Lord were, I, I won't do it. What if the Lord were to do this? What if he were to call one of you up right now and just say, come on up here and sing for us a solo? Right? <laughs> what would your response be? No! I mean, I'm talking about those who perceive they can't sing. No! Those who perceive they can't sing. <laughs> no! 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 And maybe the rest of the audience would also say, no, don't you go. <laughs> but what if God said, go? And while at the very moment you got out of your seat and you begin to walk toward the stage, he would begin to endow you with the capacity to fulfill that assignment. See, I think there are things we're not experiencing in God because we say no to him. And we don't humble ourselves to give God an opportunity to reveal himself. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Kadaris. He reveals his favor to the humble, to those who will acknowledge, if I say yes, I'm creating a stage for God to perform. Here, that third area is hunger, to have a hunger for God, to have a hunger, to be passionate for God, not just to go through the religious motions, but to really want the will of God for your life. See, when you're hungry for God, God will meet you. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, God will meet you. When you hunger for his will, you'll hear his voice. We would see that Samuel in chapter 10 would anoint Saul. And how many know Saul would go home a different man? See, you go after donkeys. (laughs) And God is going after you. And now you're going back home, a different man, because now the anointing of God is upon you. God wants to meet you. He wants to do something strategic in your life so you can walk in your appointed time and experience the portion he has for you. How many know there's a day coming? A day coming. A day is coming when you guys are going to transition from this facility into your new facility. Amen. Right? Amen. Now, it may appear just to be a few steps away that you will just walk out, literally walk out of this building and step into your new building. But I can tell you it's more than a few steps away. It is laced with a divine assignment that I believe many times in these settings like this that God says, I'm about to usher you into a new place. So what you were able to do here, you can't do there. In other words, if you've been passive here, you got to be passionate there. If you've been on the peripheral here, you got to be in the center of divine operation there. 
That if you're coming to a place where you're simply attending, it's time to be a partner with the purpose of God. you got to do that there. It's time to step into your assignment. It's time to step into your assignment. You've been saying no too long. Don't have time. Don't have energy. Don't have skill. Can't see myself doing that. To saying yes, God. To giving God the opportunity to anoint you to do what he wants you to do. Can you say yes to God? I say, can you say yes to God? Will you stand in God and stand for the opportunity to hear his voice and what he wants you to do? You say, Pastor, I don't know if God speaks to me. I don't know. I don't know what God wants you to do. I'm sure there are pastors here who could help you. I'm sure there are ministry leaders who can guide you, right? I'm sure there's always opportunity for ministry. Do something with me. Would you stand for a moment? Reach over and take those hands again. I want you to tell that person next to you, on either side of you, I'm holding your hands because you really need prayer. And I'm going to pray for you. Go ahead. I'm going to pray for you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to pray that that individual, thus the collective group, would have a spirit of yes to the assignment of God. So there can be another dimension of anointing in this place, unparalleled like any other time in this church's history, because everybody is saying yes. Everybody's walking in their assignment. Everybody's stepping in their anointing. Would you take a moment and pray for that person to your right and to your left? Just pray for them right now.